1: Well, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome to the show, Body of Christ. Real talk. Thank you, virtual audience. I really appreciate that. Thank you, and welcome to the show, Body of Christ Real Talk. Ready for another episode? Ready for another episode. Now, I'm going to continue. First, I'd like to say, uh, before I get started, I'd like to say hello to all my new listeners, the ones that just tuned in to this show. This is called Body of Christ Real Talk. And if you just been tuning in or you are somewhat of a curiosity listener, uh, what I am doing, I'm teaching on the series. The series is called spiritual obesity, spiritual obesity. You want to know more about it? Go back to my last previous shows and it will break down everything. What I mean when I talk about spiritual obesity. OK, now. What I want to do right now, so I want to get right into this because it's very important. And this show is going to be pretty short. This third segment, this will be the third segment of uh, part three of Spiritual Obesity. The first two parts was just dealing with uh, the beginning and the start of denominationalism. And And it was, and I, the first one I was just uh, going down the lane of what started denominationalism, how did denominations start. Many theologians and many historians go back as far as Martin Luther, the uh, you would say the father or the forerunner of the Protestant movement. And Martin Luther was a Catholic. He was, uh, and, uh, brought up in the Catholic Church. Because at that time, uh, back then in the early, you know, hundreds and stuff like that, uh, under Constantine, which the Catholic Church was birthed out of Rome, uh, under Constantine, the Catholic Church was the predominant church. I like to call it the first denomination. Why do I call it that? Because it, it's a, it was totally different than the last teachings of the Apostle Paul. See because the gospel that was presented to the Apostle Paul was the final message that God gave to someone to preach the current gospel. That's what's going on today. The gospel of the grace of God Acts 20 and 24. Okay. Saved by grace alone. Now that's what uh Martin Luther found in the scriptures that made him change his mind from the indulgence in and uh, the era of teaching and the dogma teaching from the Catholic Church so if you want to see the start of the denomination, you know what did it start from many, uh, ministers and theologians, and even some grace teachers, would say they would start with Martin Luther. You know, and I would like to go back as far as the Catholic Church because anything that branches off from the teachings of the Apostle Paul, because Apostle Paul was the last apostle, not alive, I'm talking about the last apostle that had the grace message. The Apostle Paul was the only apostle that the mystery, which he called, In the King James Bible, which means secret, the message, the the secret hidden message was revealed only to the Apostle Paul. So Apostle Paul was the last one that Jesus revealed the gospel to the world, which is the Gentiles. Now, what a lot of us, mainly myself, would like to know, but it's kind of a great area after the death of Paul Because you have to remember, Paul had many followers. He had Timothy, he had Titus, he had Barnabas, you know, even though they split it, you know, Silas, you know, Sestimus. It was different uh, uh, followers of the Apostle Paul, men and women of God of the Apostle Paul. And when Paul died, when Paul was martyred, what happened to those followers? Silas, Apollos, Timothy, Titus, et cetera, like that. What happened to those apostles? I don't know. And I was trying to look that up and it seems like many, uh, I tried to Google it and stuff like that and nobody can give you a def- defined or a definite answer of what happened to the followers because it's not really recorded. So it's kind of a darker, gray area. What happened to the followers of Paul? Now, why do I find that important? Because I, I wanted to find out who took the torch, who took the mantle after the apostle Paul's death. Because the gospel, his message did not start stop there. We have to, we have to recognize that. After Paul was martyred, beheaded, uh God's gospel or the message the gospel of grace did not stop there and I'm sure a lot of you know that by now the gospel of grace under the Apostle Paul did not stop there it had to be someone to take it forward God had to use other people to take that grace message forward now that part is not recorded. Because Paul fulfilled the Bible. Paul finished the word of God. Okay. Many people think it was revelation, but it wasn't revelation. Paul, I think many uh, grace teachers believe that the last few books that was finishing the Bible was was Timothy and stuff like that. You know, that that fulfilled the word of God as a whole. You know, that's another confusing thing. That's going to take some more explaining and uh, teaching right there but Paul fulfilled the word of God before the Bible was written and wording he fulfilled the word of God you know so that's why I said Paul was the last one with the final gospel message to the world because the kingdom message under the 12 has been postponed remember and it transitioned to the gospel of the grace of God under the apostle Paul you know okay now where I'm going with this the reason I'm mentioning this and you probably even heard not probably uh never heard anybody else uh, mention this, but this is just something that came to my heart. Who took the mantle I like to call it or who did the Patan? I'm using allegories now that that was passed on from Paul, okay. Now, what happened to his other followers? What happened to Timothy and Silas and uh, Apollos and uh, the other followers of Paul, which, which was quite a bit of followers that was taught by the Apostle Paul when he was in prison and out of prison, uh, mainly in prison, who uh, even Epaphras, the one that was sick, you know, Epaphroditus. There was many followers of the Apostle Paul. Whatever happened to them? I'm gonna slowly but surely do a research about that, but I'm not gonna add it with this series. It's just out of curiosity and just for for my learning and my uh, my educational history about the followers of Paul. So I'm gonna do that a little later on down the line. But that's something to think about. Whatever happened to the followers of the apostle Paul? Now there might be there may be many historians back then. Uh, like Josephus and a, and a lot of other, uh, past writers that might, may know something about that or have some type of theory about that, but I don't know anything about that. Maybe you do, I don't. And, you know, they might, that might, I'm sure it's some type of information out there. And again, it might not be. So that's gonna always be a great area with me myself until I find out. Now, why I'm saying this? Because the gospel continued. It did not stop after the apostle Paul. It could not have. God didn't stop there. And it wasn't was it a gap meaning was it a quietness? What happened? Who took the message further? Now further down the line I heard it was a group of people called the Paulinians, meaning the Paulinians meaning they they, they minister and they believe and they teach, they taught the word and they had faith and taught the the message that Paul uh, was teaching in his letters the 13 letters uh romans through philemon so this group from what i heard i don't know too much about it was called the paulinians because there's not a lot of history on how far they take it and everything like that the reason i'm saying this is how did it get to the point do all those uh the hundreds, early hundreds, after the, you know, maybe 50-some AD and all the way down to 1500s going into Martin Luther. How did it reach him? What, what was the gospel message? When When did it start getting tainted and twisted? When did the Catholic was it with the uh, the Roman Catholic Church? When did Paul's message start getting twisted? See, that's that's something I'm thinking about. Now I may not never know. Maybe it's not that important, but somewhere between that time, his message had to be twisted and you know bombarded or tucking over by. Different faiths, and, and uh, uh, till it got to uh, the Catholic Church, which was birthed out of Rome. Now I'm just guessing now, but for the Catholic Church to be the predominant, the, the predominant church, you know, church just means assembly, okay? To for the Catholic Church to be the predominant church, you know, and they would just rule. And other churches like uh, the Protestant Church and the Reformation Church, which is John Calvin and all these other guys and ministers, uh, which John Calvin was also a, a Catholic. But he disagreed with Luther's doctrine, you know, for one reason or the other and, uh, other. and he branched out and started, you know, churches and then churches started starting from there. If you looked at the documentary yesterday, please look at it again and they will break down all of this. But what I am trying to do to get to the uh, breading of why people are so obese with different traditions of the church I'm trying to let you know where all this started from because there's always a start whether it's good or bad there's always a start somewhere why people why belief starts and why traditions start the way they start It's, it's, it's usually always a beginning okay now with that said uh only only one person I have to go on Is the historian view of Martin Luther You know And stuff like that Besides, you know, talking about the beginning of the written Bible But I have to go with Martin Luther far As, uh, as far as Denominationalism Not the beginning of the written Bible And stuff like that With Tyndale And uh, Miles Coverdale And, uh, you know, all those guys that wrote different bibles and stuff like that but I'm just talking about the beginning see this is what I'm doing I'm talking about the beginning of the denominations and according to history when it comes to that because you have that gap uh of the book writers and then you you have the little story of the Paulinians and stuff like that see I'm trying to stay focused on Paul's message not the kingdom message Paul's message. So evidently Satan got a hold to it and tw- started twisting it up before it got to uh, the Catholic Church. Because the Catholic Church started getting their own type of dogma, the way I see it. And then they, they wrote, they started uh, have their own Bible in the Latin Vulgate and stuff like that. And then, you know, uh, uh, Martin Luther, Calvin, all of them came from that area of Uh, the Catholic Church and they branched out and split it from the Catholic Church because of the difference in uh, belief Uh, you know, difference in belief and everything, so just like what goes on today when it comes to tradition and why you have so many splits and so many uh, divisions and so many different type of church buildings. Even today, it started back there, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. You, you follow what I'm saying? The beginning of traditions and uh, uh, Bible, biblical dogma and why so much error in the church today including the body of Christ I put those separately purposely on purpose because everybody that calls himself a Christian is not in the body of Christ that's why I put it that way okay so specifically I'm talking about the church the body of Christ when did Paul's message start getting twisted up. Who was the one that carried Paul's message? With, besides the little historian, uh, history view of the Paulinians, who was, what did his followers go? What is Silas, uh, Apollo's, and Timothy? What happened with them? How far did they take the message? That's the dark area that I don't know nothing about and it doesn't seem like too many people do I know someone have some type of information but again it may not be I don't know you know and you have uh, many people talking about different books that was made after that the book of this person the book of that person the book of Barnum stuff like that so it's you might find stuff like that in the Maccabees and it might be information about them in Apocrypha I never read those I never felt you know, compelled to read those so it might be history of what happened uh, to Paul's followers after that in the book of in the Maccabees which was tucking out of the Bible, the King James and and uh and the apocrypha and different things like that. So it might be something with that in the history of that. And I'm very interested in that, not to put it with the Bible, but I'm just saying to know somewhat of a history of what happened with them and how far did they go and what they martyred or whatever, or they died of old age or whatever. The reason being because I'm trying to hook all that up together. What, how far Paul's message went after he passed away and where was the start when it started getting twisted up? Okay, all right. Okay, so I'm gonna just let that part go and I'm gonna just keep it starting off with Martin Luther and I what around 1500s 1500 or 1557 like that when the church is the first denomination starts splitting up. You know? Now uh, according to historians, the Lutheran Church was the first denominational church. if you want to call it denominational church it was the first they split from the Catholic church for differences in theology Uh, 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 Martin Luther discovered you know Paul's message really It was Paul's message about saved by grace Because that's the only one Preached that message It wasn't Peter's message Or another any other apostles Or even Jesus' uh, message He preached with the four gospels It was Paul's message The final gospel that's for the gospel today It was Paul's message He When he when he found that That made him think differently About the doctrine of the Catholic Church Okay so the first uh, denominational church was the Lutheran church. Then it started spreading out. Then Calvin, who was also in a Catholic church, he split the Catholic church too, but he disagreed with the teachings and uh, the liturgy of Martin Luther's theology for uh different things like that. Then it starts spreading out to John Wesley and different people like that. Then it just started going and going and going and stuff like that, so the denominations Start spreading everywhere Because of different beliefs Okay And also uh, In the first two series You should have learned that uh, I kept it focused On the main line That I like to call a Protestant church You know that's really well known Besides the Catholic church Because the Catholic church is not a Protestant church I'm talking about the uh, The Lutheran the Methodist, not so much in that order, the Episcopalian, <clears throat> the Seventh Day Adventist, the uh, Presbyterian. Uh, then you have the uh, the Baptist that was uh, was birthed out of the Anabaptist. Then you have the uh, the Pentecostals. Then you have the Charismatics. See, it's an order because the 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 oldest first denomination in Lutheran church going all the way to the Pentecostal and Charismatic church where I uh, uh, the known churches because you have many different churches but in church buildings the known churches I the youngest uh, denomination of churches you know starting after them was somewhat the uh, they call the cessational churches or the sign and wonders and the gifts churches which is the Pentecostal churches then you have the charismatic the charismatic was kind of a birth from the Pentecostal more independent churches and stuff like that so you, if you can, if you could follow where I'm going, a lot of denominations just start spreading from that because you look at the Baptist Church. There's all kind of different type of Baptists. You know that. There's too many to be trying to think about the go to go through. You got different types of Pentecostal churches. You know. Like the Church of God in Christ, the Holiness Church, you got the uh, different type of the Holiness Church, you you got you got, uh, uh, maybe you can say the Assemblies of God or whatever like that, which is considered somewhat Pentecostal. That don't mean they just believe the same things, five signs and wonders, and mainly speaking in tongues, but they always birthed from that, you know. Type of Pentecostal flavor that brought off the Smith Wiggles and uh, you know, the uh, different people like that and stuff like that. So, you know, when you look back at history, when you look back at history or the history of Christianity, you can see how the church, the body of Christ, is so divided and split. See, because of the era and traditional belief and how far it got away. from sound doctrine, which was taught by the pastor Paul, by Jesus Christ in his heavenly ministry. See, and also you, you would notice the split of the church. I mean, remember when I talked about even before Paul's gospel message, uh, the kingdom message under the Messianic Kingdom program, the Jews program, there was always one church. There was no different denominations. There was one church. Then when it uh after Acts nine, when it transitioned over to Paul's ministry, they was tight knit too. They had to walk in that faith. There had to be uh, a tight knit fa- faith. See. It was mostly one in one this church. Paul rebuked uh the the uh, the the Carnal Corinthian church for talking about they want this they want one group follow safest Cephas or Kaipha which is Peter, this group follow Paul, this group follow Apollos. See those were splits, Paul was against splits. He was against divisions or what we call today denominations. He was against that. And you try to get them focused on the one person which is Jesus Christ. There we're all one. Paul, Apollos, Peter mean nothing, everything is about Christ that's, that's the point he was trying to get to this young, carnal i not going to say young, but this carnal worldly, Corinthian church, see amongst other things with the Corinthian church in Corinth alright, so about that little breakdown right there that i would tell you God just wants one church, the one church is the body of Christ the focus is the body of Christ not the name Christian but the body of Christ now I'm not saying I'm not against that name but I'm just saying it's been used through history for many years thousands of years it's been used and misused you know the focus that we need to be uh, focused on is the name the body of Christ or the new creature we are the heavenly church not the earthly church We are the heavenly church Our destination and our future today For the saved today Is the heavenly places Not heaven on earth and Not the earthly uh, uh, dwelling Which is going to be the kingdom program The millennium kingdom in Israel See, mostly our blessings is future And they are spiritual Not physical And once we get to understand these things A lot of other things will come to light In our walk with Christ, okay? So <clears throat> all right. So I wanted to talk about that before I go any further in the next upcoming shows. I'm going to let you listen to some more uh, documentaries, but I just wanted to get that out there so I can give you a little give you a little taste of what's going to be happening in this teaching about spiritual obesity because I'm trying to get as as much to the foundation of This traditional belief that a lot of, a lot of us and the body of Christ got caught up in. Uh, The traditional belief that we was uh, spiritually bred and brought up in, in our denominational churches, okay? I'm going to also talk about my upbringing, you know, because I can talk about my upbringing when it comes to traditions, uh, traditional upbringing in the church. The church I was brought, brought up in was birthed out of the Pentecostal Church, which is The uh, Church of God in Christ. Now, let me let me let me try to uh, get some something through here. When I mention denominational church, I'm not talking about the name of your church. I'm not talking about the name of your church. There's different names of churches. The the Holy Mary Church, the Church of St. Bernard, or you might call uh, the Assemblies of Walking Neighbor. Now, I'm just making up stuff, but you might be called uh, uh, the the First Corinthians Church, or you might be called this type of church. I'm not talking about uh, someone, a name of your church. There's thousands and thousands and many names of churches. Some of them are the same that's not a denomination I'm talking about. I'm talking about the denomination is, uh, what I mean by denomination, what was that church birthed from? See, you can be, let me speak for myself. The Pentecostal church, the Pentecostal church, churches was birthed out of the Pentecostal movement. And then they gave their church buildings a name. But they was birthed or they was governed out of the Pentecostal movement. You understand what I'm saying? Now, let us let me speak for the church. Out uh, The church, uh, traditional church, I was raised spiritually in, and I physically went there, was the Church of God and Christ. Birth out of the Pentecostal church. You see the difference. The Church of God and Christ. You have different holiness churches birthed out of the Pentecostal church. Even some than the oneness church, the universal Pentecostal, the Oneness, some Apostolic, there's a lot of churches that's birthed out of the Pentecostal movement. So they but they had different names, but they was birthed out of the Pentecostal movement. The church that I was went to that was birthed out of the Pentecostal movement was called the Church of God in Christ. See? Church of God in Christ. Which was started you know, by someone then, uh, the Pentecostal movement, okay? Uh, But the name of our church, which my grandpapa, we called him Granddad Grandpapa, the name of our church was the first church, the first rock of ages, Church of God in Christ first Rock of Ages now Rock of Ages is just a name or you could say a pet name of a church but the denomination church name where the church is from is the Church of God in Christ so you have many Church of God in Christ's churches with different names but they are Church of God in Christ but they all birthed out of the Pentecostal church you understand what I'm saying now so that's, that's what I mean by that. But denominational-wise, that's what I mean. It's the same with the Baptists. It's the same with different, uh, like what Robert Williams called Catholic light, the Pescapillian, the Lutheran. You have splits. Or oh, you have Lutheran churches, but they have a, a a certain name of their church. But if you're looking at what they uh, they was birthed, or you know spiritually birthed from, you'll know it's the Lutheran church, or the Methodist church, or the Baptist church, or the Pentecostal church. Which birthed the Church of God in Christ was birthed, the Holiness Church, which birthed the Assemblies of God Church, the the, uh, the Oneness Church, the University of Pentecostal. So it's, it's just you. Okay, it goes hand in hand with that. It's confusing. It's very, very confusing. So you think about that. Do you think God ordained that type of confusing or Satan? See, all those, all that I just said is man-made. Led by Satan, of course. is man-made. Okay? There's so much confusion when it comes to denominations, see, because there are so many. I made a statement when I was looking at this show, and I don't know how old the show was, and I think this teacher uh, is uh, a minister is from the Church of Christ, and uh, he, he, I guess he researched it. He said it was over 38,000 different denominations, but if you google that yourself you're going to find different numbers not only though but it's going to be different numbers because worldwide it's hard to even figure out how many denominations is it because you got to count the different baptist churches the different pentecostal churches the different lutheran churches whatever like that you have to count all of them you see how confusing it could be because every pentecostal church don't agree every baptist church don't agree that's why they split See, that's why they split up. Every this church don't agree. Every that church don't agree. That's why they split up. See, there's a difference of doctrine. Now, what is the problem? By me saying that there, what do you think the problem is? Think about it. What do you think the problem is? Why so many splits? There's a problem with what? doctrine, even if it's the salvation message, there's a problem with sound doctrine. There's confusion. See? There's no harmony. And a lot of uh, denominational churches, they might agree and they might sound alike. But it's certain differences in their beliefs that made them split when it comes to Baptist churches, when it comes to Pentecostal churches or or whatever, in their leadership or people leaving and starting their own, they're still holding on to the Pentecostal ways and belief, but I mean ways, but somewhere they differ so they split off from this pentecostal church and this pentecostal split off uh, from this pentecostal church and this pentecostal split off from this pentecostal church do you have universal pentecostal do you, do you have this uh, this type of pentecostal do you have that type of pentecostal do you have the baptists have this Baptist have the southern baptists you have this animus Baptist, do you have the the uh, missionary baptists and all this stuff because they split not because of differences and what so it's a doctrine problem. Everybody pick what they believe, what God is saying in the word, so it becomes a doctrine problem. So if you got a doctrine problem, you most definitely got a gospel salvation problem, which is the most important thing over the doctrine because ain't no sense of you knowing doctrine if you're not saved. So, the most important thing is what salvation power so, if the gospel message is not correct in these denominations, see the doctrine is not correct then you you understand what I'm saying. You have all this confusion, all this confusion, so many people that's lost the lost world don't even like church. The lost world is confused because they hear so many messages from different churches. They hear so many messages. They hear different ways of being saved. They hear different things of what I must do, what is right, what you could do, what you must not do. Most of Most of it is conditional things, things you must do to get right with God, especially when it comes to sins and forgiveness, which I'm going to talk to, talk about Lord's Word later on down the line. Forgiveness. Who is forgiven? The saved or the unsaved? Who is forgiven? The saved or the unsaved? Okay, I'm going to talk about that later. The ones that listen to my show... No, I already know. But you have newbies here and I want you to think about that. Who is forgiven? What I mean by forgiven, who has been forgiven of all their sins, the saved or the unsaved? What must you do to be forgiven? Is it something you and I had to do or must do to be forgiven and stay forgiven? See, sin-wise... Do we have to keep confessing our sins to keep right with God? For the believer, <gasps> okay. Let's look at it on the other side. Do an unsaved person have to confess their sins to God, or somewhat repent of them? Which means change your mind, but repent of. I'm going to use that. A lot of churches use repent of their sins and get to get right for God for salvation. Is that the way today? The reason I'm saying is because that's the confusion with a lot of, of the unsaved people as well as the saved people when it comes to that. And what is that? That's part of doctrine. It's a doctrinal error. It's a confusion. See, it's a doctrinal confusion. Now, I want you to listen to this very carefully. <clears throat> the reason there's so much even back then from uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin and all the other, Swigley and all these other believers, you know, which I believe they probably was believers, not all, but I believe most of them was believers in the body of Christ. There's so much confusion and doctrine is because they do know, most churches don't know how to rightly divide. They don't know how to rightly divide. Okay, And also, there's a problem with the word dispensation. Many churches don't like that word, or they have a misconception of the word dispensation. I try not to use it as much because dispensation just means a certain administration or a certain program that God is using certain people at, at a particular time or have them to do a particular duty. He does that all through the Bible. Paul, in the King James Version, is the only one who used that term, literally, dispensation in the King James Bible. Four times Paul uses dispensation. No other uh, uh Apostle uses that Jesus never even used that That term In his earthly ministry The only one used that term Dispensation In the King James Bible The reason I'm saying King James Because dispensation is not used In in other English translations It might Other translations uh, Might use administration It might use stewardship It might use management Which are very correct uh, terms to use, but just remember the word dispensation is only used. Uh, I believe in the King James Bible. That's why many people that read other translations have a ref- they refute that because they don't see it in they- in their translation because their translation is another translation and it doesn't use that term dispensation. It might use another term like administration and stewardship. You know and their translation Bible, whatever translation you read, all right? And also, I think the word dispensation and the grace movement, just like Christian has been abused, the word dispensation and uh, the grace movement has been abused and misused. And that you have some some people might say I'm a dispensationalist. I don't like that because that not like a denomination It's just like saying you are a person saying I'm a Calvinist. You know, oh I'm a Baptist. Oh I'm a this. I'm going to there. Whatever. Blah, 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 blah. I don't like. I don't want nobody to call me a dis because I'm not a dispensationalist. I might use a dispensational format, but I'm not a dispensationalist because the more you, you use it loosely and in error, it, it also sounds like an occult or sounds like a sect, sect, S-E-C-T, not S-E-X. <laughs> S-E-C-T. Sect. It sounds like a sect and then therefore you can abuse it so much it sounds just like a denomination. Something we try to stay away from. It sounds just like a denomination. So you have to be careful how you use the word dispensation. I'm going to talk about that later on down the line, down the line as well. Why that term is abused. But I think it's the best format of understanding of God's Word more than any other format over Calvinism or any Armenianism and all that. That's my opinion. I think the word comes alive more when you rightly divide and understand the different time that Paul used. I mean God used the uh the different movements and saints in the Bible. Okay, dispensationally. Okay, if you use it the correct way, you have a better understanding. But it's, it's sometimes get used and abused too much, and it's out of term. It's been used out of term quite a bit. You know that it became some type of a sect or a cult to some people. You know. All right, I'm gonna stop right there. But I'm just I wanted to give a little backtrack of the first two shows that I done about spiritual obesity. Because what is going to come A a lot of things that I'm saying Probably confusing to a lot of uh, The listeners now But when I get through doing This series uh, When I get through doing this series You should have some type of idea About what I mean by Using an allegory Spiritual obesity Why is the church spiritually overweight And in bad health because I use the allegory of the uh, the high protein, low carbohydrate diet, the physical diet, that protein, which is a lot of meats and uh, poultry and uh, fishes and stuff like that. So, uh, we have been told that meat was bad for us. Protein was bad for us. So we have to eat very little protein. Now I'm talking about the physical diet now. No fats and very little protein, and we must uh, add more carbohydrates. You know, uh, the vegetables and grains and different things like that. Then they start adding other bad carbohydrates as well. Then they start talking about fruits and stuff. All that is carbohydrates. And then I I got into all about that the keto or whatever like that, and I'll talk about the physical diet. And then I try to just line it up allegorically with the spiritual diet. See, now the attack it was on protein and meat, and the physical diet. The attack in the church diet, the spiritual diet today, is the teachings of Paul, his grace message. Saved by faith alone. Unconditional grace. That's the attack. See, you see how the saying the psalmist is because the majority of the churches, churches as in buildings, denominational churches, they teach kingdom message. I'm not saying they don't teach Paul's letters and messages. I'm saying the majority of the churches teach the kingdom message or added when
2: We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply.
1: Man-made traditions. I can't forget the added with man-made traditions. See? So, they believe that faith you could be saved by faith alone. They believe that because they can ignore that. And they know that you're going to only get that type of teaching out of Paul's letters. They believe that to an extent. See, now let me say they believe it to an extent. They believe it's in the Bible and they believe Paul says it. But why do I say to an extent? They don't believe it enough to believe it that it's the only way for salvation today. How do you know that, Joe? It's proved today because when you talk to somebody about salvation, how to be saved, some will say just believe alone, believe by faith alone, believe what happened on the cross, the death, burial, resurrection. You have some that will say that, but usually it's a but, B-U-T, a but after it. Why? Because they have their conditional mindset. There's something that you and I have to do. They just can't swallow it that you just believe in by faith alone like Martin Luther believed in and nobody couldn't accept that. You know, they just had a hard time, a hard time. Even today, believe it is just faith alone by grace. See, so when you hear somebody talk about the Bible, I mean, you be honest with yourself when you hear many believers and even unbelievers but let's stick with the believers in your church you know building talk about the Bible the majority of them talks about the kingdom they talks about you know uh, repenting of your sins they talk about you know baptism and water they talk about different things like that they talk about the Apostles Creed which is the 12 apostles, not, not, uh, not Paul is not part of that. uh, Apostles, the Apostles creed was was the 12. Their doctrines are based on the kingdom program. Jesus urgently ministry, the four gospels, et cetera, the books of Peter, James and stuff like that. The majority of the churches today the Protestant churches, the majority of the Protestant churches today, their lingo is based on Israel's program, so they have a lot of talk about the kingdom program, or they have Old Testament talk, they go in the book of Psalms, they might go, uh, you know, the uh, different books of the Old Testament, they start quoting a lot of the old prophet scriptures, and prophets and stuff like that, they will hang around that Old Testament law. You know, and and most churches know we're not under the law. Most churches know that, that we're not under the law. But let me say this like this. Even though most churches know we're not under the law, they will still find certain things that sounds good that was part of that traditional law and put it with their church. So therefore, they put themselves right back under the law, even though they know they're not under the law. They still like certain, uh, certain conditions and certain things that's only under the law. And they will apply to themselves in their church because they think it's, they think they're uh, replacement Israel, And they think it's for the so-called, what they call the New Testament church, uh, and they put it and they have it in their church that has certain things that they do in their church and I'm going to talk about that later. I'm going to name a few. Baptizing water, paying tithes, etc. Those two things are hot in the church. Not as much baptism in water now but paying tithes. Most churches still pay tithes, the majority of the churches. But they think that it's a New Testament thing to do, and they don't look at it as it's only been uh, under the law. See, tithing and all that baptism was under the law. Israel, it's a Jewish law. And the majority of the churches, by them thinking they are replacement Israel, use those traditions in their church. See, the, the mistake was that. The mistake with that is when you use some of the law, you can't just pick certain things out of the law that you like and put it in your denomination. It it does not work like that. It didn't work like that for Israel, and it ain't going to work for nothing like that for any type of Gentile, which wasn't for them anyway see you, you just can't pull certain traditions and certain rituals that Israel have to do and put it in your denominational church it does not work it's not uh it's not ordained by god it's not pleasing to god because you're not Israel you're you're trying to steal Israel's mail and Put it in your denominational church. Now, some churches will turn their back on me when I say that they will try to convince me and others that tithing is for today. And then I use scriptures. You cannot tell me and show me nothing that will convince me that tithing is for today. You can do it if you want to. I'm not saying it's evil, but you tithing is totally different of what the churches tithe today or how they tithe you see because it had really had nothing to do with money and I'm I'm going to leave that right there okay baptism in water there was also a kingdom Israel program see there's a lot of things that Churches are doing out of ignorance, and some just doing it because they just want to play God, like the Catholic Church and other churches as well. And they know better, but they think they're God. They really think they're led by God. And they're using a lot of traditions and programs that is Israel's. Programs. They're doing the same thing like the Pharisees and all them done back then when Jesus got on there for man made traditions and he had to fulfill and and show them, show his followers, his little flock, the law correctly. See, it's the same going on in churches today, denominations, especially the Catholic Church, but I'm talking about the Protestant churches now. Even today, Jesus, if he came today, the majority of the churches, he would throw all this stuff up and probably even burn the building down because you're not Israel. This is Israel was under our covenant. Israel was under the law. See, so there's so much confusion in the church, you know, today. <clears throat> now, all this, what I'm talking about. All these denominations, I don't know what denominational church you are in. But just, just, just think about what I'm saying. What type of things that you do in your church uh, that you know is not in the Word of God? It's not in the Bible. That not in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying all things you do in your church is bad, you know, if you think you're lifting up Jesus, because a lot of people do things out of ignorance. That's a different thing. So we, I need to be careful with that, because some people might really think they're doing, things for the, doing something for Jesus, you know. So, you know, I'm not talking about that, but I'm just saying you saying that <clears throat> I'm doing this because this is the Bible. This is the way they done it now who is they when you hear a church or you say it yourself I'm doing this because this is the way the Bible done it do are you saying that you obey everything in the Bible and you supposed to do what the Bible say is that what the Bible teaches that we do everything in the Bible which is the word of God let me put it that way A Bible is just a book, but the Word of God, do we suppose to do and obey everything in the Word of God and apply it to ourselves? Or do we apply and do some of the things in the Bible and apply it to ourselves? Which one is more uh, taught in your church? I want you to think about that when it comes to your church. Which one is more taught in your church? And I want you to be honest with yourself. Okay? Now, in a Pentecostal church, in a Pentecostal church, you know it's a spirit realm out there. And I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit realm out there that can manifest itself. To seem like it's the Holy Spirit, you already know that, especially in the, especially in the Pentecostal church, that can manifest in things like it's the Holy Spirit. Okay, you still have those type of spirits out there. Now let's let me give an example. In the days of Moses, when Moses went up to the Pharaoh and he threw that rod down, and the rod turned into a serpent, a snake. What did Janus and Jambres, the sorcerers of the Pharaoh, do afterwards? You know. They also threw their rods down and their rods turned it into serpents. See? But what happened? Moses' rods swallowed up their rods. In other words, his serpents swallowed up their serpents. There's many examples in the Bible of sorcery and rich craft. See? and duplications even in the last days and the ages to come Satan and Bible talks about Satan comes as an angel of light even in the last days the beast the Antichrist going to mandate many people to worship him as Jesus as the Messiah see there are going to be a lot of duplications there's many false crises out there even today so that's what I mean it's a spirit realm out there you see manifestations in denominational churches and also in occults. you see very wicked manifestations see the difference is when it comes to the occult and witchcraft they know it's wicked they, that's what they want to conjure up but the church building think it's the Holy Spirit So, the occult churches, the witchcraft churches are not getting food because they know who they conjure up. They know they conjure up the spirits, uh, not Satan himself, but the spirits and the demonic demons. They know what they conjure up. They know what's the manifestations in their church. But when it comes to the church buildings, you know, and denominational churches, that same spirit, listen to this closely, manifests itself in a church building but many believers believe, uh, to say it's the Holy Spirit. You see, they say it's the Holy Spirit moving in this church. Now, I don't doubt there's certain things happening in the church. They say some people say they see healings, they see miraculous things happening, and they see those things manifesting themselves. But is it God? Is it the Holy Spirit? And God allowed those things to. Happen. See? Because you refuse to believe him, he lets you believe illusions even today. And he's going to do that in the future as well. See? So you can get deep you can get so deep in feelings and emotions and the the spirit moving that you can conjure up those type of spirit. Satan is the master of manipulation. He's a master cloner. So especially when it comes to the charismatic and the Pentecostal church, you see a lot of things going on. People running around, they shaking, they jerking and stuff like that and everything like that. And you know, shake, they laughing out of character and different things like that. And they caught with the spirit of laugh. They stopped making up different type of uh, spirits and everything like that and then they, they They have the nerve to say that's the Holy Spirit moving in their church. And many people start believing that without even at one time comparing it to how the Holy Spirit moved in the Bible and why he moved in the Bible. They don't even compare it. They just go with the flow and don't even question, is that the Holy Spirit or is it uh, some type of demonic spirit? See, you you see what I'm saying so your eyes are so blinded these things will manifest themselves to you just like they do in an unseen evil world they do it in churches you have evil spirits in churches buildings I'm talking about so that's not God in that building that's the manifestation of spirits mix with your flesh can't leave your flesh out see so how could that be allowed so much how could evil spirits and demonic activity be inside a church building simple false doctrine false doctrine okay You say false doctrine, Joe. Okay, false doctrine. I don't care if it's error doctrine. I don't care if it's bad doctrine. Anytime it's not sound doctrine of the word of God, you invite that type of activity in your church. Now, I'm not saying every church has demonic evil spirits in it. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not one of those quacks that talks like that. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying, you allow yourself personally and uh, let me say, personally and congregationally to invite that type of activity in there. See, The, the, uh, the scary thing about it is because sometimes I've been there myself, it feels so good you can feel the chills you feel so loving you feel like you on a cloud see I've been there I I was raised in Pentecostal and a charismatic church so I've been there and you crying and you praising God and you loving you feel so good in that church see see But you got to remember, the enemy will give you what you want. He will give you what you want. See, our bodies are very powerful in the sense that we can uh, psychosomatically make a lot of things happen with our bodies to the point that you know, things will manifest. You know, you hear about the David Blaine's and, you know, the David Copperfield's and a lot of illusions and stuff. They, they, they're they in this demonic stuff. I don't even know it. Satan will work through that way. Not him himself, but he'll use his minions. You understand what I'm saying? So, in the church when you are teaching false doctrine you allow that spirit in that's why you have so many different type of churches now just coming out of nowhere okay where I'm going with this it's very important as I go through this series for us to understand it's very important for you to understand the ones that still a denominational church, it's okay. It's always come to the point that it's mandatory. It's a must for you to line up what's being taught in that pulpit compared to the Word of God. What's also important is what translation of the Bible that you are are you using. Some denominational churches use different translations. You go in a congregation of just say two from 50 to 200 people, you got people with different translations NIV, 11 Bible, New English Bible, this type of Bible message, and all that different translations. But they say it's the Word of God. You, the uh, charismatic churches, I believe, and a lot of Pentecostal churches, but I believe more charismatic churches, have more other translations probably in their church than they do the King James. There's different type of translations. So all this goes together. All this goes together. See, you have the big screen in a lot of churches, you know, which is cool. And they're quoting scriptures. The majority of the time is out of another translation. Now, if the meaning and the the breakdown is, uh, is pretty good, that's okay. It's okay. But my point is, what translation are you using? Because there's certain things in the King James Bible that you can't define in another translation. And it was meant that way, and I think it's supernatural. I think God used it that way. I really do. I think God used it that way, certain terms and certain definitions. Many will disagree, but this is what I feel. This is my opinion, you know, compared to another translation. Now, I'm not the one like a lot of other great people think all translations are bad. No, I don't believe that. I just think King James is the best translation. I'm not saying every other translations are bad. I never read all translations, so I can't say that. But I just believe the King James Bible is the Bible he want us to read. See, I'm putting that out there for myself. So I'm not saying all translations are bad. I don't believe that, but I just think King James is the best. That's me because you have a lot of people out there would not touch the uh, other translations and I'm not against that either it's just not me see, uh, uh, the only other translation that I do read is the living Bible, very seldomly especially now, is the living Bible okay, for certain uh, paraphrase people say, yeah, how could you do that, man I don't care how much of a Kane J's Bible you got. even when you teaching and you're talking to somebody, most of the times you're paraphrasing. So you got to be...
0: We all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts.
1: Less dogmatic sometimes because a lot of us, when we minister and when we talk or we're trying to explain, we're paraphrasing or we're losing using allegories and metaphors and stuff like that. A lot of times, we're paraphrasing because we're trying to get our understanding of what the King James is saying because we don't sit up there and let say you know everything that it's saying because we don't. It's a different old English language that we all are still trying to learn, even some of the best. So, don't get caught up a being saying I'm. Um, I ain't got nothing against you if you say you're King James only. I'm for that too, but I'm not against reading another translation. If listen closely, what I'm saying, and a lot of grace teachers will disagree with me. That's okay. I'm still growing. Okay, I have not. For now, I'm I'm ninety something percent King James. See the other percentage that mean I just dabble a little bit in the living Bible that's what I mean like that I'm down 100% King James therefore myself see I can say that because I still do look someone in the living Bible other believers and grace teachers might disagree with that that's okay man you can disagree all you want to I deal with that with God see that's between me and God or whatever like that you know so for so for right now, I'm about 90 something, 92 percent King James. Why? Because there's still some things in the King James I don't understand and I'm still learning. But my goal is to be 100 percent. But for now, I still dabble with a translation of the living Bible once in a while. That's me. OK. All right. But my point is, I think really there will be somewhat of an issue if you just another translation without using the King James Bible period see I think you will miss a lot especially when you're trying to learn how to rightly divide I think the King James Bible is one of the best books to rightly divide God's word my opinion again that's me I don't think there's a translation out there and there's some, probably some good, decent translations as well, you know. And people, if you read the King James Bible and you read another translation, don't think you're sinning and going to hell. Some grace teachers or dispensational teachers will have you thinking, man, you just sinning, you wrong, you're not really a believer. Don't believe that. Some of the greatest so-called dispensational uh, teachers, even Terrence Stamp and uh, other uh, teachers use other translations does not mean they were sinning. So we have to get out that dogmatic way of looking at things and everything. We want the word of God. The word of God. I, believe, I just believe this. I believe the King James Bible is the preferred word that God would prefer us to read. That's where I go, and that's that's where I'm going for now. That's what I think when it comes to Bibles. See, what's more important, the Bible or the Word of God? The Word of God. Not think the Word of God. Not saying He cannot move through other translations. Not saying it's it's a lie to say nobody else never uh, cannot get saved out of another translation. I don't believe that you can sell me on that. But I believe the King James Version Bible is the Bible that you can rightly divide God's Word the best way you can out of that translation. See? Okay. I believe you will really understand sound doctrine, especially from the teachings of the Apostle Paul. Out of the King James Bible, when you learn the definitions, when you learn how the, you know the uh, the understanding King James, you learn the wording. See, but it takes time. Okay. All right, I'm gonna stop that right there. So because it's so much, because I know a lot of people that listen to me, they have other translations. I don't want you to feel like you're doing something wrong, or it depends on your translation. Because some of the translations just plain out evil. I'm just be I I don't deal with no NIV. I'm just put you up. If you're an NIV reader, I don't deal with NIV. And there's other translations, especially these new ones, I would not touch. So the majority of the translations I I don't I don't touch. You know. You know, I just told you where I go on my translation, which is the New Living Bible. And I'm very careful with that. I don't use that as my study Bible or as for a doctorate. I don't use the Living Bible, just the King James. See, and I think you're missing a lot if you don't have the King James in your library of other translations. You don't have to get rid of the other translations don't want, but at least give the King James Version Bible a chance. And I believe the Holy Spirit, this is my opinion, moves better through the King James. Bah, Man, I really get attacked on that one. That's another opinion of mine. I'm going to stick to that. I'm going to stand on that. But I'm not saying God cannot use and move to another translation. See, God's not going to move to no translation that doesn't add up with his word anyway. And the only one knows that is God. See, not man. God knows that. He's not going to move through any translation anyway. Just like he's not going to move and manifest in any church inside the body of Christ that is. If you're not in teaching sound doctrine. Okay? So with that said, with that said and everything, if I was in a uh, teaching out of a class and I uh, and I will be, and I will teach out of the King James Bible, but I have the living Bible right there just in case. For cl- not for clarification enough, something like that, to make it plainer. Because, you know, it sounds a little better when we talk talking out of lingo, but it doesn't affect or take away from the King James. You see what I'm saying? Because we do that a lot. Ministers do that when they paraphrase. So get off your high horse. And I just use it for that reason. If it's not affecting the meaning of God's Word first in the King James Bible. So if I'm teaching someone, I would teach them out of the King James Bible, but I will read certain, plainly out of the living Bible as they grow. Because you have to give people time, men and women of God to grow. They might have a hard time understanding the King James Bible, like I did. So you have to start somewhere long as so it's not watering down the deity of Christ or watering down the doctrine of the Apostle Paul or the doctrine of the Bible, period. And to that point, you help them to try to understand the King James Bible. Don't just say they need to just read it or someone might just want to say, I just want to learn the King James. You let them, you let them ask you where they want to go. What well, is it you understand? But if you start them off in another translation, it's hard to get them on the King James. So I believe when you teaching someone, start them off on the King James. That way, that will be the first translation they 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 learn from the King James. And then if they don't understand certain things, you can use a paraphrase and just. You know, long as it ain't, you know, watering down God's word of what it is saying and everything like that. But I believe when you're teaching somebody today that just got saved, this is the way I would do it. I would start them off in the King James Bible. When it comes to Bible study, see, I might read a story out of the living Bible and I'll let you know what's going on from there. But when it comes to studying the Bible and you want to learn how the Bible you're going to learn through the King James Bible. That's the Bible I will prefer. And I will help you if you don't have, want to get a King James Bible. See, you will learn from that and then paraphrase and use, you know, uh, the English of today of what, you know, because I know there's a lot of changes then. What's going on in that King James Bible, you know. So, all right. So I hope you guys got something out of that. So you can know where I stand when it comes to the King James Bible. I'm not dogmatic King James. I'm not just say King James only because then I'll be lying because I use another translation. You might use the King James other translation as well. And if you don't use the King James, you know, or you one of those types just say, I don't believe the King James is worthy for the day or whatever like that. You are missing a lot of what God's word is really saying because that's the Bible God used in those days, in the King James Bible. After the Geneva Bible, is the most uh, read Bible today, Is the King James Bible, and I believe God used uh, that translation for the believers today, see? So I believe you will miss a lot, you know, not to the point that you can't get saved. and You can't help nobody, you know, because I don't I don't have that much information on that. But the little information I do have, I believe without giving the King James Bible a chance, you missing a lot of how to rightly divide. Because I believe the King James Bible is the best Bible to learn how to rightly divide. OK. All right. Now, with that said, I'm going to leave you with that. Uh, like I said, I want to keep, I'm going to try to keep least, these teachers at least 45 minutes or maybe to an hour if I can. But there's so much I want to talk about. Those few things I just talked about now is just the tip of the iceberg. This is the third installment on spiritual obesity. And you're going to understand why I'm going all about this long way. Of breaking down how come how in churches what is the, one of the main issues why many churches are spiritually overweight because of so much of dog butt false doctrine and traditions now some of the traditions are from the word of God some of the, some of the traditions are true but they're not for today I'm not talking about the man-made traditions, which is a big problem. I'm talking about a lot of things that the church do teach. It's true. But is it for the church today? Remember, it was three churches and the Bible, which is our assemblies. Uh, three churches, the church of the wilderness, the kingdom church, the messianic church, and the body of Christ church. That's the confusion Especially when it comes to the Kingdom Church And the Church of the Body of Christ The Twelve Apostles Jesus earthly ministry And Paul the Apostle And Jesus heavenly ministry Jesus has two programs That's the main confusion In the Church today When it comes to the Body of Christ And Churchism But I'm talking about the Body of Christ The Church itself it was confused then in Paul's day it's confused today maybe even more because there's more people you understand what I'm saying? so I want you to get the taste of where all this started from so you can start questioning and looking like your statement of faith of your church and line it up with the word of God okay don't wait till this series is over start doing that now pray and now about time you get through Uh, because I know when I learned how to rightly divide and I learned about dispensations my prayer life changed and it bothered me at first because I, I, I I, I was doing less praying not so much less praying but less longer my prayers was cut short now you might say wow Joe maybe the doctrine is wrong no it has nothing to do with the doctrine listen to this closely with me it has nothing. It had nothing to do with the doctrine. It had to do with all the prayers that I was praying didn't apply to me. Let me say it again. It wasn't because uh, that prayer got worse or I had lack the faith in prayer, it has nothing to do with that, it's just me praying in the past was more uh, easier for me in the sense because I was reading mostly a lot of prayers that wasn't for me anyway. So I was using all kind of scriptures and verses that didn't apply to me. And they wasn't working for me because they didn't apply to me anyway so it was a lot of prayer didn't really mean nothing to god because it wasn't for me anyway it was mainly a lot of israel's prayer mixed in with some of paul's but the majority of it was the four gospels or the prayer of the old testament especially psalms and stuff like that even if i didn't know it by heart so it was easy for me you became I was a lot professional prayer, man. I mean, I could just <laughs> then get some fake tongues, all that stuff, and that flesh got into it, you get the flowing, and you start praying and memorizing and stuff like that. But the majority of the prayer was bouncing off the wall. It wasn't reaching heaven because it wasn't for me. So when I learned how to really play and pray for the things that pertain to me, under the teachings of Paul's teaching, my prayers became less. And I have to learn how to pray again, the correct way, without all the useless prayer that wasn't for me. Now, the prayer itself is good, but it was for the ones in that time. You can't pray Jabez's prayer and speak God to move in your life because there was a reason for that prayer. You can't pray Mary's prayer. See, you can't pray the apostles, the, the disciples' prayer. Now, that's not the Lord's prayer. Our Father, which art of heaven, is not the Lord's prayer. He was just telling them how to pray for an example. See, that was a kingdom prayer our kingdom come, that will be done. Give us our day. Give us this day our daily bread, because they're going to need it in their time. <laughs> they're going to need it just like they needed back in the, uh, the wilderness when God poured down the manna and stuff like that and the quails and stuff like that God is going to supernaturally apply them daily bread again going into the millennium going into uh, the tribulation period because they're going to need that supernaturally that's what Jesus was preparing preparing the little flock for that's what that prayer was for thou kingdom come what kingdom the millennium kingdom when he returns the kingdom on earth for a thousand years give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. See, it's under the law here. It's conditional prayer. They have to forgive one another to get blessed. See, that's not the the church today. We're saved by grace alone. We have already been forgiven even before salvation. See, I'm going to teach about that so I won't confuse a lot of people forgiveness is very controversial very in the churches today okay and I want to you know so we can't say I pray we can't we was told I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that but Les us said this one time which makes a lot of sense if you're going to pray that prayer this is just a suggestion for the ones that stuck in them our father which are in heaven Hollywood or holy is your name don't use thy kingdom come that will be done just put something up in there okay our Father which out in heaven thank you for who have blessed me with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places you know just add you know the prayers that apply to us today through the 13 letters of Paul so if you really have an issue with that you can do that as long as it's from your heart you don't have to try to impress God so I have to learn daily how have to repray so my prayer is less long-winded. They're not wasted now because they're not using Israel's prayer. You understand that? Okay, I'm going to stop on that <laughs> so much. So, there's, that's called taking off and putting on. This this series is about taking off all the junk, all the bad carbohydrates and putting on the right protein and foods and good carbs in our body spiritually then your eyes will open up and you will learn how to rightly divide God's word. See, this is Joseph Brownlee with the third segment on spiritual obesity. What is the real church? Spiritual obesity. Why is the church spiritually so obese? Spiritually the answer is traditional false doctrine. Whether you do it out of ignorance or you do it purposely or you led by the wrong spirit. Oppressed. I'm not saying you uh I'm not saying you uh possess, but you can't be oppressed by spirits. You led by the wrong spirit, it's still wrong doctrine. See? So, this is what I mean by uh, spiritual obesity. So, what we're going to learn through this series, and what I want you to learn through this series is, you're going to have to learn how to take off. Remember, Paul talks in his letters, he talks about, we are responsible for putting off putting off this type of way putting off this type of way these are the examples Paul gives in his letter we must take off this we must put off this I'm going to read some verses that Paul talks about putting off and taking off in the book of Ephesians and in the book of Colossians and other examples and the teachings of Paul see what we need to take off and put on see because we must take certain things off a lot of other fleshly things and a lot of traditional ways that we have been taught in order for us to hear the Holy Spirit guide us through His Word. Not audible, but through His Word. Okay? God bless you all. Love you all. Until next time, this is Body of Christ Real Talk. Love you all. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Peace out.